This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer. On today's episode, we've got the fantastic Dr. Shafali. Think of her as being a bit of a detective on your health, looking at root cause, looking at whole body. And we were discussing insulin resistance, body fat distribution and measurement, calipers at the ready, and of course, taking your questions too. We were also in conversation with Body Patel. He recognised as a United Nations esteemed young ocean warrior. He's in town, of course, for COP28 and a paddle out. So why is the ocean so integral to the future of the planet? It was Claire George of House and House on hand as we discussed marketing your property. What can you do to get that best price and maximum appeal to buyers? And talking all things family law. Madeleine Mendy, partner at Bin 7, was on hand as we discussed everything from marriage to divorce, custody and kidnapping. Dr. Shivali Verma is with us. She is a doctor, a sports medicine specialist, a parent and integrative medical practitioner. Uh, she says it's more like being a detective, looking for every clue as to why a patient might not be performing or living at their best possible potential. We're talking root cause, big picture this afternoon. So think of her as being your very own Dr. House. We're today having a special look at body fat, insulin resistance and some hormone chat too. How are you, Dr. Shvali? Very well, thank you. Nice to be on the show again. And to have you back. I've purposely chosen some short songs today, so we've got lots of time to talk (laughs) (laughs) because we always have lots of messages when you get in touch. I think people really do appreciate that fresh perspective of, you know, I've got... Instead of going, I've got a headache, I'm just going to take painkillers for the rest of my life. It's like, what else could be going on? Yeah, exactly. So what's been keeping you busy? What's kind of, what's hot in health right now? Well, what's been keeping me busy actually at the moment, I've, this last month, uh, Dubai 3030, I was actually contracted to do some corporate work. So um, halfway through sort of like the week, I've been able to get out into a company and educate like sort of like, you know, all the employees. Um, we spoke sleep gut health, all the things that we spoke on here. Mm -hmm. But it was nice to talk to like an intimate group of people and um, and just, you know, see that kind of like, you know, audience, like listening to new information, which was kind of nice. I think it's interesting. I think perhaps, you know, you and I are very lucky in that we are, you're obviously exposed to an awful lot of information. I'm lucky enough to meet people like you. And maybe we take it for granted that not everyone has the same access to information. Yeah, I mean, I think this year I definitely, when I opened the consultancy, which is the other part of what I do with the clinical practice, that was one of the most important things and the decisions that I made is that what I take for granted is new information to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But also people are looking for information. And so one of actually one of the talks I did this week, I put this slide on, you know, the Dr. Google versus like a real doctor. And I think it's really important because people are searching. And when they are searching, they do go on to Google. And when they do go on to Google and they see this like, you know, numerous sort of potential diagnoses, it creates fear. It creates fear. It also delays diagnoses. Mm-hmm. And it creates fear for no reason. So now with all the other symptoms, you've added stress to the mix, which is never a good sort of mix. And so this was something that I was sort of trying to explain to these group of people that, you know, no matter how fearful you are, to get the right diagnosis is one of the most important things, Mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, this is where I feel like being able to educate and kind of give them sort of direction as to what they should be looking at is exciting for me. And we can do that today. So do reach out with anything you need Dr. Shvali's advice on. 
I'm, I'm quite afraid to ask this question because I just <laughs> said you off, off air. I've been an absolute snack monster this weekend. I have not stopped with the ruffles and the gummies and, mm. the, 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 and the ginger nuts. I've just demolished about <laughs> half a packet of those this morning. Should we be calculating our micronutrients? I mean, this is like a huge sort of topic, macronutrients, and it is very much a buzzword at the moment. When I say buzzword, it is important to know what you are putting in your mouth, but it's mostly important to know over an extended period of time what your habits are. Mm. So that matters. You know, macros matters. Calories do matter, you know. Um, And I think over time, we I've worked a lot in body composition. Um, When I left medical school for a little bit when I finished medical school and I did my sports medicine I worked with a lot of athletes Um, I worked at the Commonwealth Games uh, I think it was 2002 in Manchester and then post that I was seeing a lot of athletes and I did a course on body composition and it was really interesting in terms of when you are elite and you're in relatively good shape um, where you store your body fat technically I didn't believe can be manipulated but somewhat there is you know, when you're lean, it is possible. And the calories are things that we didn't learn so much at medical school, mm-hmm. you know. And nutrition, we understood how we absorbed, where we absorbed and stuff, but we didn't really understand about sort of, you know, energy in, energy out um, and how hormones affect body fat, you know. So we should be aware of what we're eating and what we're what our habits are and what we're eating consistently because it is that accumulative effect, Mm -hmm. your lifestyle, as it were, that leads you into what you will look like. Well, we've had a really interesting question that we're going to come to in just a minute. Um, Hannah's saying, is skinny fat a thing? We'll be finding out. If you've got any questions for Dr. Shafali, you can reach out. We've also had questions about middle age um, spread. Um, Is it possible to reverse pre-diabetes? Um, Jessamine's asking 4001 if you've got any questions relating to insulin resistance, talking body fat distribution today. Hormones always part of the conversation. Is skinny fat really a thing? We'll find out next. This content is for informational purposes only and does not intend to substitute professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. joined live in the studio by Dr. Shafali Verma. We think of her as being our very own Dr. House. We're looking at whole body. We are talking nutrition today, body fat and more. And joining us on the line is Haya. Hello, how are you and how can we help you today? Hi, Helen. How are you? I'm well. What's your question for Dr. Shafali? Yes. and Hi, Dr. Shafali. Thank you so much, first of all, for giving us such an insightful conversation. Um, just wanted to ask you that how can we get rid of this stubborn stomach fat, which we get usually post um, C-section? Yes. Okay, so let's talk about why fat accumulates in certain areas and also maybe if there's anything we can do or eat to target it. Come on, for the the women (laughs) out there, Dr. Shivali, help us out here. So in general, when I studied about body fat, uh, there were 12 sites that we measure. So we measured 12 different sites, but the tummy fat in general, which is called the umbilical fat, as it were, not necessarily the muffin tops, but actually central, is actually related to stress. So whether it's a C-section, of course, it changes sort of the musculature when you cut through it. But is it that or is it the fact that now your lifestyle is different with lack of sleep, new baby, 
you know, timings are different, what you're eating is different. Are you eating enough? Are you eating too much? You know, I think it's it's not as simple as what do we do? In in general, lifestyle and having some sort of balance is required and knowing calories in, calories out, but also things like sleep affect you know, a lot of different things. Stress affects a lot of different things. And lack of sleep is stressful. So we're thinking about that kind of cortisol, which was exactly. a build up on the tummy. And in general, I mean, this is not like scientific massively, but when I learned about sort of calculating body composition uh, to get people leaner, um, that was actually the cortisol side, was the umbilical, you know. So to hire, um, who is looking to, you know, get rid of this, kind of stubborn stubborn stomach fat without surgery yes what would your kind of top couple of tips be so one of the things i would say actually just because you brought up surgery um when you remove fat from a certain area you have not changed the ability for the body to deposit it to put it back so it may not put it back there because now you've got all the scar tissue but it will put it somewhere else Mm -hmm. so i don't think surgery necessarily is always the best first option for sure um and i think in general it is to look at sort of you know your calories it's to look at whether or not you're consuming enough protein are you consuming too many carbohydrates in the sort of, if we look at how much food you eat generally, if the majority of it is carbohydrates, that changes your hormonal profile and then will allow you to store body fat. And this is where insulin resistance comes in because we do have a huge population with insulin resistance in the region. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it is because of this abundant lifestyle of like calories in and, and And what actually makes us happy is carbohydrates, right? Serotonin yeah, and so and so forth, right? The comfort yeah. food in general. But we don't actually consume enough protein. So I always think that obviously if you you know had a baby recently, should I be getting now more stressed about what you look like currently? No, I would. I mean, you're doing so many things as a new mom. But I think mm-hmm. those are the few things that I would look at first is lifestyle in general, you know, sleep, you know, movement, um, you know, amount of food, what's making you happy? Are you eating too many carbs? Are you having too much sugar? You know, those are the, are you eating like, enough fiber? Like, I feel like you're speaking to my soul. I'm like, not enough Yay. sleep, probably too much sugar. Um, I, I really wish that Dr. Shafali had said, do you know what? What you need is, is this a ha- tablet. Yeah, or <laughs> a handful of blueberries every day and we'll all just be nice, like, you know, iron board tummies. And what's annoyed me after being a lifestyle journalist for 20 years is it's always the boring answers. I know. And, and I'm <laughs> sorry. No you just told me that. Kills Mike. Me. I know. <laughs> you actually told me that. That was boring. No, but, it, but it's, the, it's the stuff sorry, we Haya. know. It's like the... It is. It is the stuff we know. It's the basics, right? But it's almost like saying, I remember one of my mentors saying, if we ask somebody, what's healthier, a blueberry or Mars bar? What is the answer? It, we know it's a blues, but what do you want? You know? It, it, it's kind of like that. It isn't... Yeah. But also... Uh, nutrition is complicated. But is it doable? My question is, is it doable? Like, Yes. Uh, uh, is there hope? Can we do it? Yes. Is it reversible? Can I get my tummy back? Yes. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. But I think it's <laughs> also not, it is changing. You can't do what you've always done and expect a different result, right? Mm. So that's something that you have to look at all those different things for sure. 
And also getting the data. You know, you can't improve what you can't measure. So, you know, checking if there's any kind of underlying things going on. Yeah, but also, you know what, measuring, that's the other thing. That's a really good point. Uh, When you get people, when people get really serious and they actually want to start measuring their macronutrients and they start actually putting in to MyFitnessPal, which is an app, people Mm. often notice that they don't consume enough protein. They think Mm. they're consuming enough, but they're not. How do we calculate how much protein we need? I mean, I was told, uh, and this is what I generally live by, a pound uh, of protein per uh, kilo of body weight. What? No, that's not right. A gram. A gram. A gram. Yeah, a gram. A gram. A gram. A gram. Sorry, my A gram of protein per kilo of body weight. But also... Per day. Yeah, per day. But also... Depending on how lean you are, it also changes, So depending on what you want. So if you want to grow muscle, if you want to hypertrophy, it's different. But in general, when you sit at a table and you look at your plate, generally I do say, do you eat a palm-sized amount of protein? Can you divide it into sort of like your veggies? Do you understand what is your carbohydrates? Do you understand where your good fats are coming from? Do you have enough fiber? You know, what is your protein source? Um, again, like vegetarians, they often think that they consume enough protein, but it is very difficult yeah. uh, for vegetarians to consume enough protein. But also, they become also deficient in other nutrients. So when you become different, deficient in other vitamins that actually create and build different products, it, it all starts to sway in the wrong way. And over time, that's a problem. Hi, thank you um, so much for getting in touch. I, as I said, I wish I wish it was a case of this is the link for iHerb, and <laughs> sadly, it's not very ha- informative. And very informative. I'll be very happy to connect you with Dr. Shafali as well if there is something that you want to investigate there. Hi, thank you so much. We've also had a question from Hannah, and I'm keen to get your take on this. Is skinny fat really a thing? What What is skinny fat? So skinny fat is, in general, somebody who looks small, you know, in in, in good shape. But if you looked at their body fat percentage, their percentage of body fat is quite high. So not really having enough muscle mass. Mm. So they can fit into like tiny clothes, but they're actually fat because their body fat percentage is relatively high for their weight. And they might have body fat around their organs. It might be that visceral fat. Correct, visceral fat that you can't actually see totally. Okay. Um, You know, and, and I think that's where people who follow BMI, they can be light for their height and their BMI can fall in the perfect sort of zone, but because their body composition is off kilter and then they are fatter relative, mm-hmm. they're not healthy. This happened to a friend of mine a few years ago. She went for a body composition test and uh, the PT was like, it's basically a miracle you can stand. You've got the muscle tone of a jellyfish, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Dr. Shafali's with us. We're going to talk next about how to actually measure body fat what is accurate what is normal who defines that and how can we work out what is good for you i've had a message on exactly this you know methods for measuring body fat distribution i've also had a message about reversing pre-diabetes this content is for informational purposes only and does not intend to substitute professional medical advice diagnosis or treatment Dr. Shafali Verma is here. She's a doctor, sports medicine expert, integrative medical practitioner. So we are looking at whole body and having a look at body fat, insulin resistance and more. We've had an anonymous message here and you can always get in touch anonymously, but you're more than welcome to pick up the phone and have a chat as well. Saying, can you explain in layman's language methods to measure body fat and distribution? Is there a gold standard as such and does it really matter? 
Um, gold standard, I mean, obviously the DEXA scan is what they think is What's probably, that? That? It's, it's sort of <clears throat> uh, sort of like an, an image of your body and where it actually distributes through. It's probably the most accurate is the DEXA scan to look at body fat under, you know, like I guess how you would do a DEXA scan for bones, but you can actually see the body fat. I think maybe it's a little bit different, but it, it's not very commonly used. Normally what I always tell people, the first thing, depending on how much body fat you have is circumference measurements. You know, why don't you get a tape, measure it, take a photo, same time of the week, and be able to track. I think that's important because at least size-wise, you can actually tell whether or not you're losing inches because a lot of people measure, say, their weight. They get obsessed with the weight on the scale, but that Mm -hmm. is not necessarily mean that you're, you know, heavier. People really are obsessed by numbers. It's, it's really fascinating to me because I, I've stayed pretty steady weight-wise for the last year. But in the last month or so, I've had some people going, oh, my God, you've lost weight. And I, mm. I, I, I haven't. I haven't, according to the scales. But maybe because I'm training slightly differently or I'm wearing different clothes. I don't know. But it's interesting because I've got friends who will literally weigh themselves morning and night every single day. Do you know, I remember, I would probably say about 10 years ago, we had a pilot that came to see us. Um, David and I, my husband, we both were doing a lot of body fat sort of testing um, and doing a lot of body composition work. And he was grounded because he was heavy. And so on the BMI, he was morbidly obese, but he was a bodybuilder. And then he had to go to a cardiologist. Everything was like, you're fit, you're this, you're this, you're this. And then they allowed him to fly. But he was grounded for like a good few weeks and do everything because it was all based on weight. I think as people go, well, that's all we've got. Correct. But that is not. It's not. No. And I think people now are starting to understand that because obviously the rise of like, you know, the skinny fat and so on and so forth, just we just discussed about now. But body fat in general now, a lot of the gyms have this embody machine where you... This is the one where you stand on it. Where you, you kind stand of put your, on it put your, and your arms out. Yeah. Correct. Now, I think, I think that if you have nothing, that works great because you can measure it sort of the same sort of time of your cycle if you're a woman. Uh, first thing in the morning so you haven't trained because it also measures sort of water retention. So if you've trained uh, and you've exercised and you've created a little bit of inflammation, it's not the best time. Different times of the month in women changes body, you know, it changes that. So you got to be very consistent your timing of measuring. I have for the last, I think I must have done this course in like 2004, been using calipers. It's where they actually pinch. <laughs> I just feel like it's like a really Victorian humiliating way of being told how fat you are. But but that's what you're, you, that is what you're trying to do. You want to know your body fat composition. So you want to know your body fat percentage just made me think of like barbecue tongs (laughs) (laughs) i'm actually really nice with mine (laughs) i know i'm actually really nice with mine i actually show them what it's going to feel like i tell them that it was going to be 12 sites you know i do you know legs arms around you know your midsection your side the back but i do 12 sites they're not that many people who actually measure 12 sites and it's not about just your body fat percentage in that moment it's about looking at change when i make these changes can i see a change Mm -hmm. that's what we want to see right we've got i'm sorry to bruno mars but i'm going to skip him so we can answer a few questions on the text line okay a message is saying i'm 41 i've been conscious of my nutrition i'm increasing protein and fiber been really regular in my exercise for a few months however there is no change in my weight 
Um, I've checked my hormone levels like prolactin, cortisol, thyroid function, all appear to be normal. Any advice for someone like me who is desperately trying to lose some weight? So again, insulin is something that I would say, have you tested your insulin? Um, Because I do think that it's also one thing, very, sometimes we test something called the HbA1c, which is looking at your three monthly control of your blood sugar. And that sometimes can appear normal. But what people don't test is something called the HOMA index. How hard is my body working to keep my blood sugar stable? Mm -hmm. And that how hard is it working is actually why you're storing body fat. Okay. So that's something I would also test. Is that something you can test? Yeah. Okay. All right. Anonymous, I'm going to send you Dr. Farley's details. A message here saying, is it possible to reverse pre-diabetes? I'm not talking about controlling glucose numbers, but getting rid of the underlying insulin resistance. Yeah. I, I definitely think there is. Well, depending on what you're currently doing, I think it is important to look at your diet. So I always get people to do a food mood diary. Uh, and oh I think my that goodness, it, my food mood diary yeah. would be a disaster. Which is, but when have you ever done one, right? Wouldn't that be exciting to see like what you eat and how you feel and see if you can find a correlation? Mm. And I do a food mood. And because I do a lot of gut health, I do a food mood and poop diary. Okay. Yeah. Just for the men, because women don't poop. Yeah. Um, anonymous message saying, I broke my legs, my leg years ago. I've got a titanium rod. The body fat machines don't seem to be able to get a reading, but could before the rod. What would be the best other way to measure body fat? And you could do calipers. Calipers. Yeah. Get the calipers. barbecue tongs yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm really conscious we've run out of time, even though we haven't really got into the insulin resistance. So lastly, what do you feel like we haven't touched on today that's really important for people to know, Dr. Shafali? I think understanding what insulin resistance is. So for, you know, my patients who come in to see me, this is how I sort of say, I said, if I, the room that I'm sitting in, if we consider this to be like a cell, and when you have, say, you eat your, you know, your carbohydrates, your, anything that turns into sugar, which a lot of food will turn into sugar, well, imagine like, you know, sugar parcels passing by in the corridor. Insulin is released so that it rings our doorbell and we allow our blood sugar to come in the cell and we use it as energy. When you're insulin resistant, we're inside like I am now with headphones on. I can't hear this doorbell. Mm-hmm. So it keeps bringing another parcel, another parcel. And the only door that is open is the fat cell next door that doesn't require any insulin. So we keep storing it over there. We are, in a sense, resistant to the instructions given by insulin. In order for us to change that, we have to either change, you know, the food, we need to change nutrients, but there is ways to do it. You know, this didn't happen overnight, you know. So again, time and boring answer yep. uh, is important yep. to make change. Dr. Shafali Verma, you're practicing, um, you're doing privates, you're doing corporates, but also in terms of clinic, where can people find you? I'm in Healthcare City at a clinic called Iraq, but, you know, if you, you know, message me on Insta or on my um, website, drshafali.com you'll be able to find me. Brilliant. There you go. This content is for informational purposes only and does not intend to substitute professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. COP28 starts this week. I need to go and pick up my pass tomorrow morning and I hop on the metro. Um, so, of course, we've got some incredible thought leaders, experts, world leaders all converging on Dubai and sustainability, the planet, 
absolutely top of mind over the next few weeks. We're speaking now to one of those thought leaders recognised by the United Nations as an esteemed young ocean leader. Bodhi is with us. He's a marine educator who looks at human health and ocean pollution and is the co-founder of Ocean Uprise. Bodhi, great to have you with us. Where did this begin for you? Where did your passion for the planet start? Thanks for having me on today. I really appreciate it. My I'm super pleasure. excited to be representing the Indigenous Wisdom Keepers. And for me, the connection to the ocean started when I was four years old. I was a little taught, splashing around like some of the listeners might have done or like many of your guys' kids might have done and do. And I was in the water and I realized when I walked out of the water that day that the ocean connected, connected us all. And it was, in fact, the one thing in the world, the water, that connected us all despite where you might come from and coming here to Dubai and I just got in last night to a community of expats and to a growing global community it really is a note about how the ocean connects us all and is in fact the largest solution to the climate crisis. Tell me more um, why do you think the, the ocean holds the key what, what do you know that perhaps many of us don't this afternoon? Yeah so the ocean is the largest carbon sink Basically, that means that the ocean has stored the most excess heat and CO2 emissions for thousands of years, um, particularly since the Industrial Revolution and fossil fuel burning increased in that hockey stick trajectory for emissions. And so the ocean holds most of, most of the excess heat on the planet, and that's why our planet is still livable for the most part. And the ocean also provides the largest and fastest growing economy in the world, which is the blue economy, which is a sustainable ocean economy for people that depend on the ocean for their primary source of survival, their livelihoods, including Mm -hmm. over 3 billion people that depend on the ocean for food, for seafood. And so as you, many of you like to eat seafood and as many of you like to have nice things here in Dubai, like the ocean is in fact the provider of a lot of that. And if not all, um, and aquaculture and mariculture is so important. And of course, 90% of the very goods that we use in our homes and in, in here living in a, more water scarce desert environment is in fact shipped across the ocean. So mm-hmm. the ocean is a great connector and it's a great provider of life. And also it's the one common ancestor we have because we all did in fact originate from the ocean. It's also been paying the price, unfortunately. Um, tell us about some of the ways the ocean has been suffering as a result of climate change. Yeah, so the largest way the ocean has been suffering is not what you might think, which is plastic pollution. It's actually oceanic warming and ocean acidification. So as more carbon emissions enter the atmosphere, the ocean actually absorbs more heat. And as the heat expands the water molecules, the ocean sea level rises. That also leads to the melting of, as you know, Arctic glaciers and Antarctic glaciers. And that increases global sea surface height. And that creates sea level rise, which is affecting coastal communities. It's affecting countries. It's affecting regions here, like in Dubai and the coastal ports. And of course, the ocean... It's also suffering from things like overfishing, high intensity of marine debris and toxic chemicals entering from pollutants in rivers and streams, and all sorts of other threats on large scales, including the emerging threat of deep seabed mining, which we're looking to stop before it starts. And so the ocean is really this resilient entity, this living, breathing, incredibly powerful, connective, all-encompassing organism on our planet. It's in fact our blue heart, and that's why... We need to protect it. But how? Because we hear this and we think, oh my goodness, this sounds like a problem that's beyond 
any kind of solution, certainly on an individual basis. Bodhi, tell us about some of the work that you are doing and perhaps things that people can learn about, do, try, adjust with the ocean in mind. Absolutely. So the most there's three critical actions you can take. First of all, learning, because knowledge is power. Learning about the ocean, learning about the threats the ocean faces, learning on a local scale what you can do to protect the ocean here, whether it's from a local conservation organization or an organization like Shore Thing Surf Therapy and getting out in the water. There's so many ways you can learn on a local level about what the ocean needs. I think the second step is understanding that the ocean affects you in all ways. In fact, when you start with a deep breath, every second breath you take comes from the ocean. So about 50 to 70% of all the oxygen on our planet is generated from the ocean, from little tiny green things called phytoplankton that are essential to the oceanic food web. And because those photosynthesize, they produce oxygen for us all to breathe. So for every breath you take, you can thank the ocean and make sure to do so because she needs that. Um, (laughs) And the third thing you can do is mostly get active in your community. And so what I've done is create a global community of young people taking action to protect the ocean. And now that's happened in over 40 countries with over 5,000 youth. And it's all started from my own intrinsic motivation to help heal the ocean because it's been facing so many of these threats like plastic pollution, like coral bleaching, some of the others that we mentioned. And it all starts with getting connected to yourself and then the ocean and then to your community to take action. And one of the great ways we're going to be doing that is actually coming up on December 10th. Um, which is going to be a paddle out with Shore Thing Surf Therapy and a wonderful woman named Paula Jacobson who's supporting with getting hundreds and even thousands of people out in the water um, to understand that the ocean connects us all and also to do some both indigenous science and traditional Western science activations for marine debris and other sorts of cultural interpretations of how the ocean and ocean culture affects us all. So those are three actionable things you can do. You can also... Uh, learn more at parlay.tv um, about the ocean and how the ocean is all connected and kind of get your get started on your ocean journey today. Paddle out for COP28, as you said. It's going to be JA Resort. Weirdly, my daughter's scuba instructor is involved. Um, so Chloe from uh, from Blue Diving, as you said, Paula from Shore Thing uh, Therapy is going to be there as well. And I think, as, as you say, just this beautiful occasion to come together as a community, to learn, to share, to paddle out in what. It's going to be an incredible ceremony. I really hope that there's going to be some drones around just to get the full impact of the number of people out on the waves. And Bodhi, for anyone who wants to follow you, find out more about the work you're doing, and of course, avail of some of the resources and insights that you have, where can people find you online? Yeah, for the delegation that I'm attending COP28 with, the Indigenous Wisdom Keepers, you can find us on Instagram at Wisdom Keepers and at Wisdom Keepers Delegation. And to follow me in my journey and also to learn more about ocean resources where you can explore and dive into a world of an ocean of possibilities really is at bodhi.patil on instagram and bodhipatil.com on any browser so i'm really excited because we're going to be sharing traditional knowledge for contemporary solutions and being weaving together different ocean cultures and indigenous cultures as we kind of showcase some solutions that can help create a healthier more vibrant thriving ocean and ocean economy and so that's what's happening at COP28 and there's going to be some great leads that come out of this in addition to protecting the ocean and all of humanity, um, including getting different cultures and getting indigenous peoples together to 
be the forefront and the voice of the ocean. Bodie, thank you so much for your time. You say ocean health equals human health, and I think you really brought that to life for us this afternoon. Uh, great to have you in the UAE. Enjoy COP. We'll be there um, all the way through, so hopefully catch up in person um, and certainly there for Paddle Out at JA Resort over the weekend of the 10th. Bodie, an absolute pleasure. Thank you so, so much. This is Afternoons with Helen Farmer on Dubai Eye 103.8. With House and House, 10 years of unlocking opportunities in Dubai real estate. We are talking property this afternoon. Text lines are open here as well. Joining us live in studio is Claire George, Director of Marketing Communications at House and House. How long have you been in the UAE for, Claire? Hello, Helen. Hello. It's great to be here. It's lovely to have you in the hot seat. Uh, great. Uh, we have been in Dubai for nearly four years now. So you arrived kind of pandemic time. I did, actually. So we arrived and then we got trapped. Um, but it was a very good thing to be trapped. I think Dubai is a really exciting place to be and I think we had no idea what kind of opportunities would be here until we actually arrived. It's been fantastic. I've been here a little bit longer, um, coming up to 17 years um, now in the UAE and every time I sell, sell someone that's been 17, I know compared to a lot of people listening today, that's not that long. But what I find is people go, oh, that's ages, but I've had different chapters here. You know, I've been single, I've lived with friends, I've lived alone, I've lived with my husband. Now I live with my two kids, two dogs and a cat called Gary that's taken up residence in the garage. Um, And what I've found is, you know, matter where you live in in the city, you have a different experience. You have a different life, you know, whether it is living in downtown, which I did. We we lived in Satwa. Now we live uh, kind of Jumeirah way. And you experience the city through a different lens. And I know that's what you're so passionate passionate about and what we're, we're covering through our collaboration on air as well about uncovering the city, unlocking opportunities, because you, you guys know it all. Well, absolutely. And what's really interesting, I think years ago, and probably when you first got here, that there were people who, it was very transient. So mm-hmm. people would come for two, three years, do their kind of get, get some money and then go back to where they came from in the first place. Whereas now we're seeing people really want to settle. And that's when they're thinking about which community suits them best. There are so many different varieties of communities in Dubai. And so much opportunity. And I think this idea that we have around unlocking opportunities is because we see it every day. There's real excitement about what Dubai has to offer people and the amazing, whether it's business or whether it is, you know, where you live, the work you do. For for us, family is a really big thing for us, you know, to be raising our kids here and especially right now feeling so privilege to be living in such a safe part of the world and that must be so rewarding for your team to see people literally you know put roots down to be able to make their dreams come true of you know of renovation or decoration or safety or you know thinking about you know their long-term finances as well it must be incredible it is great and I think what we've really seen in the market recently as well um, is that transition from leasing to to actually buying Mm. because people want to put those roots down here and it is really nice seeing people find their dream home whatever that is for for each person I think that's what uh, has been really exciting yeah Claire's with us today, Claire George of House and House. Up next, we're going to be talking about, because she's Director of Marketing there, about marketing your home. What can you be doing as a seller and what does it do when it comes to the agent, those roles and responsibilities, but getting that best price and working together as a team. This is Afternoons with Helen Farmer on Dubai Eye 103.8. With House and House, 10 years of unlocking opportunities in Dubai real estate. 
Talking marketing now of your property, if you're looking to sell or getting ready to sell with Claire George, who is the Director of Marketing Communications at House and & House. And there's a few things to unpack here, Claire, in terms of role and responsibility of the homeowners, but also where, you know, the real estate agent comes into play. So when we're thinking about, I guess, that head versus heart when, when you're selling about, is it a case of making things neutral, mass appeal, identifying that target market, perhaps? Yeah, look, that's a really good point. A great agent will help work through all of that with you. But I think the first thing to think about is who are the kind of people who are likely to want to live in your house? Is Do you live in like a family community? Is it going to be a family? Do you live on the palm where it might be professionals, um, young professionals? So what kind of things are they going to want to do every day? What's their lifestyle going to be like? So you and the agent need to work through, okay, how do we kind of paint that picture so that when someone walks in the door or they see the photos or they see the video, they think they can picture themselves. So I think this is why people say think about neutrals mm-hmm. because when someone is trying to picture themselves in that house you don't want something there that just screams that it's not them yes so huge pictures of your wedding for example yeah exactly <laughs> for example that kind of thing so neutralizing a little bit as you're saying we're we're, we're human you know we're inherently quite lazy. It's a path of least resistance. Can I picture my furniture in it? Um, if we have got kids, you know, is it a case of going, well, instead of two offices, could we make one look like a nursery or a bedroom and kind of exactly. stage it a little bit? We've had a message here and perhaps we, we can touch on this. Um, uh, no name. And you can, of course, reach out anonymously saying, who should cover the costs of professional photography? Our property is for sale and I'm really not happy with the images the agent has taken. So assets, I guess, is the second part when it comes to marketing that property. How does that work with you guys? Yeah, look, assets are massive. So you want to have really good images and video to help sell your property. So I would say if you're not happy with what an agent has done, you need to go back to them and say, can you please redo this? So even if they're not using professional photography, um, the standard of iPhones, etc. these days, but also it's about how you take the photos. So an agent needs to be well versed in how to make a room look good. So it's very easy. I, I, uh, I tell a story about how we saw this amazing uh, villa that had um, a video that they'd taken, but all through the video there was a someone had left the cat there, and the cat kept jumping through the video in every scene, every room. It could go viral. You could sell it through going viral. That's right. You really don't want that no. um, in your photo. So you really want to think about where you're standing in the room to get the best perspectives, clearing things out, decluttering. So again, you know, the agent should be helping to do that. Um, yes, it's true. Professional photography does make it look a lot better. I'm really astounded at what they can do sometimes. Um, Just things like if you've got a spectacular view, they can really help bring out that view Mm -hmm. um, in the way that they kind of post-produce the the photos. So again, it's a discussion with your your agency as whether they're going to cover the cost or whether that's an additional cost you want to, you know, put in just to give your house that little bit extra. Presumably you don't want the photos to be so amazing that if someone comes, it's completely unrecognisable. A bit like some Sometimes, you know, brides and makeup on their wedding day. You're like, you don't look like that at all. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so you don't want people to walk in and be disappointed. Exactly. So, yeah, it's like, how do I get an authentic photo and um, but bring out all the best features? Makes sense. Um, how, now, I, I was just saying to you off air, the last job I had before I left the UK was PR and marketing for a real estate company. Really? And I 
loved it. Um, things have changed quite a lot. I was, you know, uploading to website took hours. I was on the phone to newspapers to, to market the properties. Now, social media has kind of changed the game. So when we think about channels for pushing out those assets, for communicating that there's a new property in the market, how do you best use some of those opportunities for selling a home? Yeah, look, I was reading something just before I got here that was saying 92% of people, the first place they go is the web. So your portals are really important. So um, in Dubai, it's Property Finder, Bayou, Dubizzle, those kind of um, portals that have uh, listings. That tends to be the first place that people go. Then um, agencies all have their own website. So when you're looking, you really want to have an agency that is going to be able to give you that coverage on the portals and then also on their their own website. But you're right, social media is also massive these days. So how do you how does the agency that you're working with promote things on social media? And you have to be a bit fun. Like you have to start to think about how can I, you know, create a different kind of montage again, thinking about who your audience is, who are the people who want to live here, how can I create some content that's going to attract attention? Because there's so much noise in social media, it is really hard to to get people's attention. What about identifying a point of difference in a property and, and getting that across? 100%. And so, again, it's a bit of a balance between, you know, always starting with who do you think is going to buy it? Because a point of difference, you know, if it's meaningless to a lot of people. So sometimes those unique features that you as a homeowner think of amazing, um, but actually 90% of people who come into the house, that's not something they would have done. You might not want to actually focus on that. Mm. But if you've created and done some renovations that really make your house different and especially in the villa communities where the design is very cookie cutter but you've pulled out the kitchen and and you've created something beautiful then absolutely you want to make sure that that's front and center and people can understand um, what you've done and and the quality of that that type of thing it was really interesting to catch up with Charlie last week and he was talking about the qr codes on um on listings to avoid some of these fake listings. And that must be really frustrating for an awful lot of legit real estate agents who are going up against what sounds like a really frustrating marketplace. So again, this just speaks to the point of going to the experts. Yeah, look, 100%. And, you know, RERA have to put these things in place because, you know, for the for those companies that aren't doing the right thing, they've, they've got to make sure that there's a way that the consumer can check people out and make sure that things are being done legitimately. So, yeah, it is difficult sometimes for us to put the QR codes on everything and we have to make sure it's all over our social media and all that kind of thing. Um, but at the same time, if it makes it easier for clients to know, you know, when something is legitimate and not waste their time, then we're all for it. Thank you so much. Some really interesting points there and hopefully got people thinking today about marketing their homes and, as I said, working with the best in the business. For anyone that wants to reach out, um, it's House and House. Claire George speaking to us, Director of Marketing Communications. Thank you so much for your time. You're really, welcome. Really appreciate Great to it. be here. We're going to be out and about with House and House in a couple of weeks. We are going to be heading to the ranches. More on that, telling you where you can come down and meet us and, of course, ask the team any questions that might be on your mind. <laughs> Joining us live in the studio, I'm frankly surprised we've torn her away from her desk. It's Madeline Mendy, partner at Bin7 Associates. She's the head of their family law department. Her main areas are divorces, uh, matters relating to children, and even cross-border kidnappings. I mean, what a thing to have on your LinkedIn profile, Madeline. Can you explain a little bit about 
that in particular? And I'm, I'm asking because holiday season's coming up and you do tend to see a bit of a spike in, in those situations, unfortunately. You do, unfortunately. And just to keep it short, um, if you're a parent and you want to leave permanently the UAE, you need the other person's consent. Otherwise, you're kidnapping your child. Full stop. Do, do some people struggle to get their heads around that concept because it's it's my child? Very much, very much. And, and, and not to make it a... a, a a sex-related issue here, but ladies, mothers really struggle with that idea to say, well, it's my child that I'm allowed and I'm just going home. But no, your child's home, if he's born here and has been living here, your child's home is the UAE. Mm. So um, so he stays. So what's keeping you busy? We've had a lot of inquiries at the moment from um, related to schools. So parents who are... Oh, Parents that are separating and one parent is trying to re- remove a child from a school and put him into another without okay. the other person's consent. Would they be doing that because of financial reasons, because of a curriculum or, or is it a power thing? I don't know. I, I, I think it's it, it's unfortunate. It's a collateral of, of, of divorces. Uh, I think people try and put a stamp where they can when it comes to divorce and, and, and show a bit of power. Mm-hmm. And often uh, that's where they try um, you're a big advocate for child-centric divorces, Very which much. Um, I think is only a phrase I've heard in the last couple of years, and not to get too Gwyneth about it. But, you know, can you explain what it is and why it's important, Madeleine? I, I think what people forget when they come to see lawyers or when, when they start talking about divorces and uh, lawyer up, they forget that after they've paid us all that money, because they do pay us a lot of money, and the court case has, has run its course and the animosity has been brought up to the highest level. Once we've signed that divorce paper, we're out. The lawyers are out. The judges, the courts, everybody's out. And you're left with a relationship, a very damaged relationship to co-parent, um, to co-parent with someone. Um, so people forget that. And, and I want that to be the focus. You need to remember that we all go and you have this child whose family remains the same, whether a judge or not, whether a judge has decided whether or not his parents are divorced. Mm-hmm. To this poor, to this little boy, I shouldn't say poor little boy, because sometimes divorce is the answer. Sometimes but divorce some is incredibly positive. Yes. Uh, I, I have clients who co-parent brilliantly uh, and children are, are better off with it because you have envi- family environments that are toxic. Mm-hmm. Um, but... We need to remember what's in the best interest of the child. Mm-hmm. Madeleine Mendy with us this afternoon. We've had messages about marriages, about divorces, about giving birth. Uh, G's been in touch saying, if my wife and I get divorced, what happens to debts in joint name? Esther wants to know the process of documents for a Filipina and an American to get married here. Madeleine Mendy with us. Madeline Mendy is the head of the Family Law Department at Ben Seven Associates. She's taking my questions, but most importantly, yours on all things family. So we've had a few divorce questions, but before we get to divorce, let's talk marriage. Um, Esther's saying, hi, both. I'd love to know the process and documents needed for a Filipina and American to get married in the UAE. What are the options for this couple? Right. They have two options. They can go and get married in Abu Dhabi court, civil court. And then now since February, they can also do that at Dubai court. There must be 
over 21 years or tw- so 21 years old or above uh, they must be single they must be non-muslim uh, and then all they need to do is to go to one of the typing centers so if they're in Dubai they'll go to um, the Aladid typing center which is a court appointed uh, typing center make a pre-registration with they need their birth certificate a certificate of singleness to say that they are single uh, they need their passport their visa one person needs to be a resident of the emirate and then they'll make an application within 24 hours they should get a response from the court to say yes or no approved and then after that um they just go in and sign the paperwork it's very fast there you go i found um, my wedding certificate the other day because i needed to scan it for a visa from anani and i saw on it my husband it was like you know 31 years old bachelor mine was 31 years old spinster <laughs> And then they'd spelt journalist wrong. I was like, well, this is just the document that keeps giving. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Glad that that's going to be going through my life with me. Um, Esther, really hope that helps. All the very best to you and your beau. Um, and to divorce. G saying, if my wife and I get divorced, what happens to debts in joint name? Hmm. Well, generally in the UAE, you don't have debts in joint names. Unless it's a mortgage. mortgage. The only thing I can think about is a mortgage. You don't normally get loans in joint names. Uh, and credit card in joint names, you will have a main, so a principal and then a signatory. A signatory is not a joint account holder. And and people often confuse that. So if it's a mortgage, then you're both liable. But I'm assuming the property uh, will just have to be, you will have to go into foreclosure. If there's negative equity, then both of you will be liable for the amount. Here's a question, if, and let's, let's put the joint name aside. I'm just curious. If a couple is divorcing and one person has a humongous credit card debt, for example, how is that factored in when it comes to calculating payments? You know, let's say, I don't know, I'm just kind of curious what all the factors you need to take into account to make sure it's fair on both sides. So if we look at it from a UAE court perspective, that's seen as an asset, even if it's a negative one, it's a debt. So that stays in that person's name. It, it's not um, It's not divided 50-50. If you look at it from the English court perspective or non-Sharia uh, law system, then they will divide those 50-50. Okay. Any questions relating to divorce to payments? Madeleine Mendy is with us live in the studio. Um, Didi saying, I'm wondering if Madeleine has experience with an ex, brackets, child's father, having a court sentence to pay child support, etc., but not paying for over six months. What happens at that point? Does the court get involved and is there a way to escalate? There is a way to escalate. You go to the typing centre, do an enforcement claim against the, um, the father of the child. If you, have, if you happen to have one of his old bank account uh, details or his employer, the, uh, the court will start enforcement proceedings. One of them, they'll freeze his bank account and just garnish money directly from the bank account, depending on what the outstanding balance is. They'll write to his employer and tell the employer to take the money from his salary and pay it directly to the court. Uh, Third, when he gets locked up. Wow. What if someone absconds? What if a a father who is committed by court to be making payments just ups and leaves the country? What what right does a a mother and child have then? In order to avoid that, as soon as he's not paying, then normally you will make a claim. So he's not allowed to leave the country until that claim is paid. But if event or if he has absconded before uh, the claim has been made, the only way you're going to get that person back is when they clock back in into the migration system. Mm-hmm. They'll be arrested on the spot until the payment is made. Um, to Didi's message here about 
you know, going to the typing centre, making this enforcement claim. What kind of costs are associated with that? Do you need to get a lawyer involved at no, this point? No, I know I'm talking myself out of money here. <laughs> but um, the typing centres, uh, especially the al typing centre in Ali Alis and DIP, some of the workers there were court workers for over 15 years, very experienced uh, workers. So I'll go to the al typing centre in, uh, in DIP and there they should be able to guide you. It's a very straightforward you don't need to prove the law because you already have an order that's mm-hmm. been reached. What would you need to bring with you? Uh, bring a copy of the order, especially with the case number and your Emirates ID, and a copy of his old Emirates. Even if it's an expired Emirates ID, the expiry, the um, Emirates ID number is always the same. Um, so if you have those three things, you should be able to open a case. Madeleine Mendy with us today. Um, time is running out to get your questions in, and we've had some very interesting ones, Madeleine. Uh, we are going to go to the text line just after half past four, after the headlines. Anonymous message saying, I've been on a few dates with a man who says he's divorced, but alarm bells are ringing. Is there a way to check if a man is divorced without asking him to show the certificate? Interesting one. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I would imagine if you don't trust him, don't go there. But I'm, but I'm curious to get your expert take on that. Uh, we've also had a message about harassment and blackmail. Um, WhatsApp and Facebook, um, e-crime um, isn't really helping. What rights does this friend have? She's being harassed and blackmailed by her ex. It's your legal clinic. Madeline Mendy is in the studio and uh, loads of you getting in touch. How do you feel about a little quick fire round, Madeline? Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Now, mm-hmm. Anonymous saying, um, I've been on a few dates with a guy who says he's divorced, but alarm bells are ringing. Is there a way to check if a man is divorced without asking him to show the certificate? No, there isn't. The short answer is uh, there isn't a straightforward way. But if alarm bells are ticking, unless you want to be in my office in a couple of couple of years, should run a mile. Mm-hmm. Yes, listen to that. Listen to that gut. I would say. Um, we've also had a message here, and again anonymous. You can of course leave your name off. We don't mind a bit. Saying my friend is being harassed and blackmailed by her ex. She's got WhatsApp and Facebook proof, even voice notes. She has complained to e-crime, submitted documents, and did a legal translation, but unfortunately nothing's happened. My friend and her family are really suffering because of this guy, and something needs to be done. She doesn't have any money to spend on making a big case, so would really welcome some advice. She won't need money to make a big case. Depending on where she lives, if she's in the south part of the city, she should go to Albasha Police Station, take the um, e-crime application that she's made, take the translation and maybe the recording if she has any, and ask them to follow it up. Often when you insist face-to-face at the station, uh, things happen. Okay. Um, I really hope she's okay. And great advice. Thank you, Madeline. Message here saying, been married 26 years, Muslim, Muslim French. She's Turkish Muslim. A US marriage, been in the UAE since 2005. She went back to her home country two and a half years ago, yet she doesn't want to agree on divorce. What do I do? Well, you can apply for... the. She, so she's Muslim French, I'm assuming then... He is also, he would have converted to Islam because otherwise the marriage is not recognized in the UAE. So if she, if he has converted and the marriage is recognized in the UAE, he can divorce her in her absence. How does that work? So you, you, the court starts, you start a case like you would start any normal case at the, at the uh, typing center. There'll be the first, at the first case. So 
First, you go for mediation. They'll contact her. If she doesn't engage, they'll give you a non-objection certificate uh, to start the divorce case. At the first meeting, they will notice that she's not present. If she's not present, then they will ask you to publish the uh, the fact that she's been required at court in the newspapers on two separate occasions. That's public notice. If she does not, um, if she does not respond, then... And the divorce is entered in our absence. Okay, there you go. Um, and again, no name. Um, this has just come in now. So, by the way, Madeline's not getting prepped on the messages coming in. <laughs> I'm saying, I got divorced last year and I've got the right to remain under my um, ex-husband's visa for a year. Okay. He now wants to cancel my visa because he wants to get married and start the visa proceedings for his new wife. I'm asking him to wait until March next year because my work will do it. But in the meantime, what can I do to delay this? Can I stop him? Can I report him? Well, if he has a legal duty up to a certain date, if he's fulfilled that date, then she can't stop him. The most she can do maybe is to go to the court and apply for that date to be extended. Uh, otherwise, get her own visa. I think that might be the, the, the easiest way. Madeline, we've run out of time. We haven't run out really? of questions. I know. I know. This is why we need to, <laughs> this is why we need to do a spin-off podcast. <laughs> you and me on a sofa with the text line, the phone going bananas. Um, thank you so, so much. We've had a number of people asking for your details and I think the best way of getting in touch and availing of some great information is your Instagram, which is Madeline Mendy Legal. If you want to send me the word law, I'll happily send you that link um, because you did say before, you're quite busy right now. Very. Waiting lists? Yes, two weeks. Two appointments. Crikey. Okay. So this is why it's great to steal you away so people yes. can cut that waiting list and just send me a message. <laughs> um, we'd love to catch up before Christmas if we can. Um, in the meantime, though, thank you so much for your Thanks. time. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.